Welcome to the Executive Suite, a podcast by the American Chamber of Commerce in Taiwan. My name is Julia Bergstrom. I'm the senior editor of Topics, our monthly magazine diving deep into the business world here. Each month, I sit down with a leading figure in the community to discuss management and gain insights that can help all of us in our careers. And for this episode, I'm really excited to introduce Honoré Chukwenyo, Vice President and Chief Financial Officer of Mercedes-Benz Taiwan. With more than 25 years of leadership experience within Mercedes-Benz, Honoré is a seasoned executive who always looks to bring the best out of his staff. He came to Taiwan in 2019, right before the pandemic would cause a chip shortage that rocked the auto industry. But despite this and other challenges, Mercedes-Benz has a commanding share of Taiwan's luxury car market, and I can't wait to find out more about one of the driving forces behind this success. So welcome. We're very happy to have you here today. Thank you very much, Julia. My very pleasure to be here today. If not all, then most of our listeners know Mercedes-Benz, and some of them might even be driving a Mercedes-Benz while listening to this podcast. But a fun fact that they might not know is that we are actually located in the same office building. So I see your cars every morning when I go to work. They're really beautiful. Oh, thank you very much. We are working hard to make the most desirable cars of the world. Is there a model that's coming out now that's recently come out that you particularly like? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, in this area of electrification, we mm-hmm. are just about to roll out a lot of electric models in Taiwan. Yes. And the EQE is the latest car that we just launched. And the highly desirable GLC just mm-hmm. got launched recently, the um, SUV, yes. mid-size SUV. So this is what we recently launched in Taiwan. Oh, nice. I actually sat in one of your EVs the other week. And I love, there's, um, I think it's the EQ. It has a display that's very long and I thought it looked super cool. Yeah, it is indeed. Um, this is called the Hyperscreen. Oh, okay. 56-inch mm-hmm. screen covering the whole front from the driver's side all the way to the passenger car. Yeah. And this is a superb piece of technology offering and fantastic in-car experience to the customers. As a matter of fact, I'm driving an EQS right now. Oh, really? 53 AMG yes. with such a screen. I can tell you, it is a delight. Wow. Maybe one day I will afford to drive one too. But until then, I'll look at it every morning at work. So we've interviewed a lot of CEOs and CMOs uh, for this executive suite program that we have, but you're the first CFO we have for the executive suite. And we all know it stands for chief financial officer, but what does that actually mean practically? What does a typical week or day look like for a CFO? First of all, it is my honor to be the first CFO and hopefully not the last on your program. Thank you. Um, there is no such thing like a typical week for a CFO. A CFO, Chief Financial Officer, it is not just about money. Mm-hmm. It's about being able together with your CEO to actually drive the business performance, to boost the efficiency of the company, to drive automation mm-hmm. in the company, but also to take care of your people and mm-hmm. make sure that you have the right staff on board, engaged and motivated to actually achieve all of what I've just listed down. Wow. And so that's a lot of responsibility, especially when it comes to the money is one of the most important assets and people of a business. So what kind of characteristics do you think a successful CFO needs? 
Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, it is important that, of course, you have the ability to have a good look over the whole company. Every aspect of the business, you have to be able to actually know that because it's about resource and capital allocation. How can you allocate properly the resource if you actually do not know what's going on in the company? So that is very important. One also very important aspect is active listening. You have to understand the needs of the business unit so that you can actually also properly serve that business unit with the resources that are necessary. You also have to come down from the company strategy and make sure that the business needs are aligned with the company strategy so that we make the best possible use of the limited resources as we know that the company is making available. And of course, um, it's about prioritization. That's a lot of characteristics, but I guess understanding the product and the company is something that you should be quite good at because you studied mechanical engineering at university, right? And so you're an engineer, you have an engineering background, and then you've kind of steered yourself toward financial roles at Mercedes-Benz. How did that happen? And it's quite an interesting mix. And do you have any advice for people who feel a bit trapped by their degree who want to make that sort of switch? Yeah, <laughs> I got asked that question a lot. Oh, it's really? not so common, you know, for a mechanical engineer to end up as a CFO. Hmm. Well, very simple. Uh, yes, I studied mechanical engineering. And at the very beginning of my career in the management trainee of Mercedes-Benz, I actually worked together with procurement people on mm -hmm. the project. Now, at the end of my management trainee program, those people asked me if I would be interested to join the purchasing department. Oh, and that's what I did. Mm -hmm. So actually, I never worked as engineer at Mercedes-Benz wow. uh, because I branched off. Now, being in purchasing, I quickly realized that technical background is good, but this is not enough. So I needed some business administration and economics skills. That's why I went back to university and while working, took a course in business administration and ended up with a diploma. Oh, wow. Okay. And upon that, I continued my career in the R&D controlling. So in the research and development, but there in the finance department. And that was a very interesting experience because I could actually combine and leverage my technical skills and combine them with the newly acquired business administration skills yeah. and by so doing, being able to better allocate capitals to our oh, colleagues. Wow. But frankly speaking, the engineer didn't like that at all <laughs> because I was part of them. I understood, you know, the real need and um, actually they never really got what they asked for. <laughs> oh, they couldn't <laughs> sneak past you, so to say. Right. So quickly to those who are trapped actually in their career, or something like that, I would say, you know, um, the diploma, the degree is just um, a door opener. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond that, everything is possible. Wow. And how did you manage your time studying and getting a diploma while working? That was indeed a tough time. And adding to that, uh, that time we also got um, our first child. Oh, so wow. it was not so easy. So mm -hmm. I'm very thankful for the support that my wife gave me yeah. at that point in time. But um, I was determined to achieve that for sure. And I got a lot of encouragement and ultimately was able to actually work out quite well. Wow, so a lot of determination. You've been at Mercedes-Benz for over 25 years now. Right. What made you want to apply in the beginning and what has made you want to stay at this company for so long? Well, upon completing my um, degree mm -hmm. at the university, I was actually looking to work for um, ideally mm -hmm. multinational innovative company and Mercedes-Benz just happened to be the best choice. Yeah. And then I came in, as I said earlier, via the management trainee program, which was a great opportunity. Yeah. 
Ever since I've been working for the company, uh, taking on different exciting jobs, working with great colleagues, working and living in different countries and also cultures. And that's what kept me on board for the past 25 plus years. Oh, wow. And by the way, talking about Mercedes-Benz as a powerful brand, are you aware that for the seventh consecutive year, Mm -hmm. Mercedes-Benz has actually just been ranked among the top 10 best global brands in the world oh, wow. together with the likes of apple and amazon and google as the only premium oem mm-hmm. uh, in the top 10 so wow. yeah that's the excitement of the brand that is exciting and i mean mercedes is very well known for being an innovative car manufacturer there's a lot happening within your cars within the hardware and the software of the car and you've also worked personally on digitization efforts in the past so how do you and your team work to innovate in your roles yeah you're right digitization and innovation is actually our dna especially mm. innovation right mm-hmm. What is important is that we create the right atmosphere, actually, for our engineers, but not only the engineers, for the whole company to be able, actually, to innovate. Mm. And therefore, creativity is very, very important. Mm. One of the key issues is to have a company culture that actually allow people to bring up ideas. Mm -hmm. You never know where the idea will lead you to. That might lead to the greatest innovations, as also shown in the past. So therefore, that, you know, atmosphere of open culture is very, very important. Secondly, you also have to have a process in place to actually foster innovation and creativity. Mm. This is extremely important. Mm. There are analytical ways, you have design thinking, you have creative workshops that you can organize. Mm. In the engineering area, for example, there are a lot more that we are, of course, leveraging in order to, to bring ourselves to the next level. Oh, cool. And engineers, I mean, they, it seems very technical when you don't know much about engineering, but there is a need for engineers who want to innovate, right, to combine their technical skills with creative thinking. And do you believe this kind of innovation and creative thinking is something inherent? Do you need to find people who are creative and innovative or can they be taught and improved? And if the latter, how have you worked to improve these skills yourself? While some people might be gifted, actually, at birth Mm. with a lot of creativity, they are talented at that, I truly believe that it can be learned. Mm -hmm. As I just mentioned earlier, and therefore it's really important that we also work on having the right environment to foster creativity. Yes. Right. We encourage people to bring up new ideas that would actually help us Mm -hmm. and that we pick up those ideas and we try to actually bring them forward. Creativity workshops, for example, Mm -hmm. can also be done. Mm -hmm. Just to share with you, my team member is working right now and organizing a creativity workshop in the finance department. Because I also believe that there is also important. So the workshop will help us actually to find new ways to do things. And, and out of that, we hope that that will help us actually to um, streamline our processes mm. and come up with new ideas that will also help us to improve. So it definitely can be learned. Do you have any tips for how to utilize your network well? Because I think a lot of people are good at making new connections or talking to new people. But then how do you actually turn that into a fruitful or useful relationship? It's difficult enough to build up a network. Mm. It's even much harder to actually maintain it. Yeah. I think there is no specific secret to that. You need to put the same effort in maintaining the network uh, the same way you've been able to build that up. Mm. It's about 
catching up regularly. It's about you know keeping in touch. It's about if possible meeting physically. Mm. Um, it's about meeting also virtually. Yeah. Yeah. And just sharing with you during the COVID time where it was not possible to actually travel, not even travel back to our headquarters. What I did was actually to schedule regular. We call it a coffee time or catch up meetings with a lot of colleagues actually globally. Oh. Other CFOs, but also other people just to catch up and be able to maintain yeah. these kind of network. Mm. And it proved to be actually very, very beneficial. Otherwise, mm. we have been a long time without any contact, which is, of course, not good for, for network yeah, maintenance. Absolutely. So you work a lot with other people in regional offices at Mercedes-Benz. Do you guys collaborate globally? Yes, we do. Oh. And that's that's the very nature of the work. If okay. I only look at MB Taiwan, that will be a closed job. What we need is actually to reach out to others mm. and share, mm. right? What are they doing? What ideas do they actually maybe have? Mm. Also sharing what things we have implemented, if they might be interested in. And that sharing is actually going on quite regularly and quite fruitfully. I was able to actually export some of our good ideas here to other colleagues that were interested in. You know, likewise, some other colleagues share with us what they were doing. And these uh, sharing and benchmarking is Mm. is absolutely important. You know, in a high performance organization, this is necessary. Definitely. And uh, you mentioned before, you come into contact with a lot of vastly different markets and cultures through your job. How have you worked to sort of immerse yourself in these cultures and different continents and markets? Is there a certain mindset or approach that you think has worked well for you for understanding a new culture? Yeah, uh, indeed. For me, having been around for in so many countries and also having a different background. I was born in Cameroon, in Africa. I grew up there before coming to Germany to study Mm -hmm. and ultimately to work at Mercedes-Benz. I have the chance to already bring along, you know, that uh, intercultural background. Hmm. And what is important, I think, is to always show a level of respect to different cultures, Mm -hmm. be able to actually also listen and observe, uh, be open-minded. That's Mm -hmm. extremely important. Yeah. Not being afraid to go into new relationships, et cetera. And then essentially, you know, just being open, as I said, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's extremely important and not being afraid to try out new things. Also not being afraid to fail as long as you can still come back up on your feet and then continue. So one issue that has to do with cars and driving that I'm sure is very important for Mercedes-Benz as with any auto company is the question of road safety and safe driving. So how does Mercedes-Benz work to promote road safety? Yeah, I agree with you. Road safety is a huge issue, Mm -hmm. especially also with the scooters all over the place. That's the nature. So how do we as Mercedes-Benz work to promote road safety? Mm. Generally speaking, but also specifically when it comes to Taiwan. I think different aspects. We need to talk about, for example, passive safety systems, how we move from passive safety systems to active programs in the car. Passive safety systems is when an accident occurs and how we actually kind of limit the negative oh. impact. And active is preventing the accident from happening in the first place. Yeah. One of the key passive safety systems is the anti-lock system, for example, the ABS mm-hmm. that Mercedes developed with many, many years ago. Oh, you were the ones who developed the ABS system. Yes. And the first to apply it on a car. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, it's mandatory on every new car coming out. Uh, Mercedes was the first together with Bosch. On the active side, the so-called pre-safe. 
Mm. Yeah. By the way, just celebrating 20 years. Oh, wow. Equipped in all of our cars. So setting new benchmarks. Yeah. In our cars, of course, also benefiting our Taiwanese customers mm. on the street. That's very, very important. You have different other features. The blind spot, very yeah. important actually to detect the scooter in mm -hmm. the, the rear mirror, for example. Or the road users in crossroad intersections, mm. also very important. Pedestrians, for example, or cyclists. And the autopilot. Yes. We call it intelligent drive, which is also a very important um, innovation that we've actually brought out. So our vision there is very, very important. Mm -hmm. Not only we would like to protect our own customers in their cars, but we would like to protect actually everybody on the street, all road users mm. uh, with our active safety systems, oh, the wow. cyclists, the scooters, crossroads, so that the car can actually break in time yes. uh, for that. This is one. Designated driving is something that I would also like to uh, mention. Mm -hmm. We also promote the idea of responsible driving. So apart from the safety feature I've just mentioned, one of the first exclusive products that we've actually brought out in our CRM tool, the mm -hmm. Mercedes-Benz Pass, is the designated driving. So what is designated driving? So we have a partner, which is a taxi company, um, well-known, 55688, uh -huh. who is working with us in order to offer these, uh, we are offering these service. So their drivers have been in our own Mercedes training center. Mm -hmm. So they got trained on our cars and functions. And if you went out in the evening, you had a drink and you can actually book that service mm. via this mobile application, mm. the driver will come to you. He will then drive you in your own car back home. Wow, nice. Very safe, very convenient. This is a yeah. service that I also use uh, frequently <laughs> as we are invited to the one or other dinner, yes. uh, for example. So this is also a very good way to promote active safety. You can also use it if you are ill or you are not feeling well, for example. And by actually bringing in these drivers and showing them the car functions, it also helps to reduce the anxiety of the customers that the driver may not know how to take care of their cars. Yeah, of course. It's also very, very important. Oh, that's fantastic. And I guess the active safety is one of the prospects for the development of the auto industry. But are there any other prospects that you see for the auto industry in the next few years? What can we look forward to? Uh, there is a lot in the pipeline. Um, just to name a few aspects, decarbonization, mm. digitization, but also the whole issue in two aspects, uh, driver assistance, automated driving, mm. but then also the in-car experience that we actually touched upon at the beginning of yes. our conversation. I would like to elaborate a little bit. Let's start with decarbonization. We all have the need to protect the planet Earth. And therefore, globally, Mercedes has set itself the ambition to become carbon neutral by 2039. Wow, 2039? 2039. That means the whole value chain of producing, developing, producing, selling a Mercedes-Benz globally mm. has to get carbon neutral by 2039. This is our ambition, clearly. Yes. So 11 years before Taiwan. 11 years before Taiwan, <laughs> and also to be very concrete, in the production area mm. since end of 2022, we are already carbon neutral. Wow, so okay. So all Mercedes-Benz owned production plants worldwide already achieve carbon neutrality. But it's not enough to only look at our own plants. We also need to include our suppliers. They have committed, actually, to also become carbon neutral over time by using, for example, green steel. 
for example, yes. for the production. Um, electric cars are the cornerstone. Mm -hmm. We have clearly the strategy of electric only. Yeah. And by 2030, Mercedes-Benz will only sell electric vehicles globally. Wow, okay. If market conditions allow. Mm. This is clearly our ambition. Right here in Taiwan, by the end of 2023, we will have six electric vehicles on the market. That's fantastic. EQS is one, EQE, we talked about that, so that the Taiwan customers will have a large choice. Mm. So this is our contribution, actually, to this very important aspect of decarbonization. Mm. This is the first aspect of the new trends. The second one is the digitization. Mm. Digitization in the sense of driver assistance system. By the way, we just announced in uh, Las Vegas yeah. uh, a few days ago at the CES Las Vegas that we received the certification for level three autonomous driving in the state of Nevada in the US. Okay, That's so the, what is the level first three? OEM. What is level three? Great question. Um, in the area of automated driving, there are six different levels from zero to five. Mm -hmm. Four and five means actually fully automated. Vehicle takes control. Mm. As a passenger, you can even sit on the rear seat. The okay. vehicle takes control. Zero to two means the driver is still in control. Three means a dual role, actually. Oh. Three means actually you're sitting in the car, you still need to be in the driver's seat, but you take your hands off mm -hmm. and also the eyes off the traffic. Under certain conditions, the car is actually driving you, is in control, can overtake and do different things. And as a first OEM, we just got that certification in the U.S. and California will follow. Wow. That's... Um, in fact, we got that certification in Germany already last year. Oh. So this is a very, very important trend that we are actually following in uh, Stuttgart. Yes. Where our headquarters is in a parking space. Yeah. We have developed an automated parking valley with uh, Bosch again. Okay. Where the car can actually park itself automatically. Oh, nice. Yes. That would be good Through for me. Through a mobile application, you could actually get your car to park all by itself. It's already possible today. I love that. I'm a terrible parker. <laughs> I think so I that, that would be a big help for you. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be the, the driver assistance system. Uh, one further aspect, we touched upon that a little bit earlier, is the in-car experience. Mm. Yeah, And there, we the car software will become more and more important. Right now, we are developing our own operating system, Mercedes-Benz operating systems, Yeah, just like the uh, Apple OS. Mm -hmm. That will be coming onto the market already in 2024. Wow. Yeah, And that will take us to the, the next level, because also there we have the ambition to actually lead in-car software. Uh, and that will also make possible the automated driving, reaching the next levels that I just mentioned before. Yeah, That's And the um, hyperscreen that we mentioned is, of course, a good way to connect, to digitize the onboard and elevate the customer experience as well. Wow, that's fantastic. There's a lot happening. There is a lot happening in the store. Stay tuned. <laughs> what about challenges? Are there any particular challenges you see for your industry? Yes, of course, uh, where there are opportunities, there are also challenges. The current challenge at the moment is the chip shortage, as we mm. all know, Yes. Um, since a few years now. So that's a challenge that needs to be sorted out, hopefully, in the coming months um, yes. and years. Because those chips are also very, very important, of course, for the future, mm. also of automated driving, etc. Another challenge is, of course, to have the talents 
Mm. The, also the skills yes. that would be necessary to actually achieve all of these ambitions uh, mm. that I've mentioned earlier. Decarbonization is very tough. Mm. We need the commitment of everybody on the value chain creation. Yeah, our suppliers, as I mentioned, and this is a permanent work. You have raw materials that might not be enough, that you need to make sure that they are also there. And those raw materials that will help us to achieve decarbonization. So there is a full array of challenges that we mm. need to fend off. But we are confident that, uh, you know, we will we will be able to also solve the challenges as we move forward. That makes me feel confident. So you mentioned the yeah, chip shortage, but from what I understand, Mercedes-Benz has been doing pretty well with managing the chip shortage. What did you guys do to kind of handle that extreme challenge and situation for the auto industry? Yeah, like every other OEM or mm -hmm. the, the all industries, we also Mercedes-Benz has been impacted by the yeah. chip challenge. Of course, we could not produce the cars that mm. customers are actually waiting for, which is a pity. Mm. Yes, we have tried our best to manage the chip shortage. Mm. How are we doing that? Of course, trying to be proactive, mm. uh, you know, and trying also to get ourselves one tier or some tiers further, being directly in touch also with the chip manufacturer, which we didn't do in the past, and taking the responsibility for that, uh, that helped. Yeah. But fact of the matter is that we still are not having enough. Mm. Um, and we do hope that the situation uh, going forward would really come back to, to normalcy. Yeah. Um, so that we can actually supply customers and reduce their waiting time. Okay. And you mentioned talent as, as one challenge. <clears throat> and I think it's a challenge in many industries. But maybe there is a young, talented person listening to this who's getting inspired, thinking, I want to be the CFO of Mercedes-Benz Taiwan one day. What advice would you like to give young professionals who are looking for a successful career similar to yours? Yeah, what advice do I have? Um, <laughs> very simple. Um, be ambitious. Mm -hmm. Be curious. Stay hungry. Dare to ask. Mm and take the lead to steer mm -hmm. your own career yeah get people around you with a positive mindset mm -hmm. yeah that will encourage you along the way that can be a great mentor for example or a coach and believe in yourself mm -hmm. which is the most important one believe in yourself and your abilities and capabilities and then you will get there and you're very hardworking and ambitious and you're doing a lot of stuff. But when you're not working, what do you like to do to kind of relax and recharge? Yeah, when I'm not working, I actually like to spend time with my family, mm -hmm. which is my backbone. Uh, that, that's really, really important. Other than that, connecting with, with friends, remaining grounded, etc. is also very, very important to me. I like reading a good book. Oh, nice. Um, or just going out for a good run. Yes. With my intercultural background and also going around, uh, we like, we love traveling, actually visiting new countries, new places mm -hmm. and new cultures, expanding the horizon. These are things that we really uh, love and enjoy doing. It's fantastic. Do you have any trips planned in the upcoming months? During the pandemic, it was not really possible to travel. Yeah. Actually, uh, when coming to Taiwan, we're very much looking forward to going around here mm. in this region. Mm. We have visited already uh, some countries around uh, Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore. So there's still a whole lot yes. on our list. So oh, we are really nice. looking forward now to uh, now that borders are open and the pandemic is going down to, to actually kind of go out there and visit. 
some other countries uh, in this region. Uh, yeah, region. nice. Me too. We're running out of time. This has been a really interesting conversation. I do have one kind of a tricky question left. We're the executive suite and we love suites at the MTM office. And I'm curious to know what has been the most memorable dessert that you have tried in Taiwan? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> um, there is one dessert that I've tried here in Taiwan. It's called uh, the sweet um, dumplings. Oh, yes. Tang Yuan, mm -hmm. if, mm. if uh, my pronunciation is correct. Now, that's really a nice one. That's yes. really a nice one. Uh, it's made of glutinous rice uh, and, and broth of beans, uh, yes. something. Fillings. Uh, yes, with fillings. Uh, um, very, very interesting. Have you tried it? I tried it. I actually also really love Tang Yuan. Yeah. I think it's... You do? I'm, because I'm European, I really love very sweet desserts. So I tend to think that Taiwanese desserts are okay, but they don't impress me much. But I do agree with you. That's a really great Taiwanese dessert. Absolutely. For sure. And actually, our last episode, I interviewed the director of the American Institute in Taiwan, Sandra Outkirk, and I asked her what American dessert she thinks everyone should try. And she said pecan pie was the one that everyone should try. And so as a little thank you for coming on today, I actually did bring you a pecan pie, oh, really? a slice of pecan pie. <laughs> oh, <laughs> So in the spirit of staying hungry, I'd like to give you this and I hope you can enjoy it later. Thank you very yeah. much. Is it a sweet one? It is a sweet one. Yes. Then that's, uh, it resonates with me. <laughs> I love sweet, <laughs> sweet desserts. And uh, yeah, I'm very honored to be your second guest now, right yes. after Sandra Outkirk. It was a great pleasure being here today. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, thank you. I learned a lot. So looking forward to seeing you around the office again. Looking forward to that as well. Thank you very much, Julia. Thank you so much. This was the Executive Suite, an audio version of what we cover each month in topics from the American Chamber of Commerce in Taiwan. We are now in print, online, and wherever good podcasts are found. In this feed, we'll also be bringing you monthly updates on the major domestic and international beats moving Taiwan. This program was created with help from Ghost Island Media, Taiwan's leading podcast label. Make sure to check out their other shows. I'm Julia Bergstrom, and I'll see you next month. <laughs>